0: Good morning. It is awesome to be with you today, and I am super excited that I get to talk about the helmet of salvation. And let's throw up the slide of the Roman soldier. Like, when you were living back in the day when Paul wrote Ephesians, when he wrote to these people, they were like, really, all these guys were walking around all the time in their skirts. And uh, just like we see policemen, policemen don't wear skirts, but that could be fun. Um <laughs> But think about the helmet. I mean, back in the day, the way they fought, if you took a blade to the arm or the leg, you probably would survive. You'd be okay. But if your head wasn't protected and you took a blow to the head, it's the most important organ in our body. It tells all the rest of our bodies what to do and all the systems. You were going to be a goner. And so they really understood the importance of the helmet of salvation. And I have loved and been passionate about learning about the brain for like two decades. I know it's like a hobby and don't get scared, I'm not super scientific. So I'm not going to throw a lot of like hyperthalamus and amygdala words at you. I'll make it really simple, but I love the brain, and so my girls are 25 and 29, and growing up, I talked to the brain about them. I would say I talked to the brain about them. They would say with maybe an eye roll that I lectured them about the brain, but I don't know if you can relate to this, but we we have emotion. We had emotion in our house. We still have emotion, Um, and sometimes that emotion would just get out of control. There'd be lots of words, and... All, about all the things, and I would say to them, like, well, right now, what's happening is, is you're being driven by your emotional brain. It's this automatic process that's happening, and it's running the show. And I need you to go to your room and take a little time to engage, engage your neocortex. And the neocortex is at the front of the room. Just picture them, okay? It's at the front of your brain. I know, Mom. I know what my neocortex is. It's where we plan. It's where we do executive functioning. It's where we problem-solve go to your room, but come back down when you've gotten your feelings under control. And honestly, sometimes I sent myself to the room, to my room to engage my neocortex, and they would come down and I would say to them, wow, you shifted your feelings. You weren't driven by them. You fought with this amazing brain that God has given us. And you guys, there's still so much they don't understand about the brain. It is crazy. The other thing I would tell them, and feel free to use any of this parenting stuff, um, about drugs and alcohol, like, I would say to them, look, there's many, many reasons you don't want to use drugs and alcohol. But here's one of the number one. Your brain is not fully developed until you're 25 years old. Do you want to mess with those mechanisms? You might, you might who knows, ruin a pathway that will never be available to you in your life. And um, when my daughter Amy turned 25, she just called and said, Mom, my brain is fully developed. And I was like, you are right. And of course there was a but. I said, but here's really what's cool, Amy, is that your brain and my brain, and no matter how old you are, our brains can continue to learn and lay down new pathways and create new ways to think and connect with God and each other. And I would, um, I talk about the, I love the study of the London taxi drivers. Um, to become a taxi driver in London, which is this humongous city, you have to memorize the map of London. And um, it's like eight million people, all those roundabouts. I hate the roundabouts. Anybody else feel like they're not quite sure what they're supposed to do when they get to the roundabout? That's me. I'm the annoying one. But they had to memorize where Big Ben was and where the one-way streets are. And what they did was they took a group of people who were going to be taxi drivers, and they took a picture of their brain, an MRI scan, then the folks studied, memorized, learned, passed the test, then they took the brain study on the other end, and they could see that the brain had changed, you guys. God did that. He designed it that way that we could have new neural pathways in our brains. It's just so exciting to me that there is this possibility of always learning and growing with God. And so I want us to read our passage today. which is uh, from Ephesians 6, but we're going to read it in the message version today. And that about wraps it up. God is strong, and he wants you to be strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, the well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you will be able to stand up for everything the devil throws your way. There, this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. It is a life and death fight to the finish against the devil and his angels. Be prepared. You are up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you will be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation are more than words. Learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon. In the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters and keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking about spiritual warfare. It's just not a thing for me. But I have to say that this series has been amazing. And it's connected dots for me about the reality of this this enemy, this invisible force and invisible strategies that are at work in our world the we- and the weapons that God has given us to protect us. I think all you have to do is look at the news to see the evil in our world, the murder, the terrorism, the racism, the xenophobia, which is the fear and hatred of sane, um, anybody that's different from us. There is awful, awful evil in our world, which is against the force of God and who God is. Uh, So no matter today, you may be in your journey of faith still figuring out who Jesus is to you, and that's totally okay. And for some of you, you may be thinking, I'm not sure what I think about evil, Michelle. I I don't know. And that's okay too. You're on that journey. And I, I would just say, I think we all probably have a sense in our lives that there are battles that we need to be saved from. I think we could all, every one of us, is fighting a battle, maybe that no one else knows. So I want you to think for a moment, what do you need saving from? Maybe it's a death. Maybe you've lost that person so, so close to you and your world is just upside down. Maybe it's in your work or your finances, or in your marriage, or in your family. Maybe it's your health, but you need saving. You need saving. And the good news is that the Holy Spirit, no matter, again, where you are in your faith journey, the Holy Spirit is always talking. He's always speaking. And I've never heard the audible voice of God. I hear these whispers and nudges from this voice of love that is the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to open our ears, and we've been praying for our ears to be open today to hear from the Holy Spirit, to guide us in whatever we need to be saved from today. And today we're going to be talking about this helmet of salvation. And salvation is kind of a churchy word, isn't it? What does it actually mean? Well, in the original Greek... Salvation was this strong, violent word of snatching something out of considerable danger, the deliverance from danger, difficulty, penalty, or power. And I want you to think back to the videos you've seen before where there's great flooding and the water is rising and there's this house and the water is creeping up and up on it. And on top of it are like a husband and wife. they are like two people on this. And there's no way out for these people. Like the water continues to go up. And sometimes I always have an animal with them. And that just, oh my gosh, you know how I love dogs. So they're standing on the top of this roof. And then you see this helicopter with this basket that's coming and it's like, salvation this is the only way out and that is what God does for us he saves us and when we think of salvation we think about and Dan talked about it earlier about sort of the our eternal salvation where we make a commitment on the other side of this walls are all our our heartland kids and we talk to them all the time that Jesus can be your forever friend And all you have to do is say yes to him. I want a friendship with him. And he forgives us of all our sins because of what he did on the cross. And we're going to be with him forever in eternal life, just like Tom Apel is today, face-to-face with Jesus. So salvation is a one and done. It's something that happens that we make a commitment to. But it's also this ongoing process that is at work in us. Salvation is us becoming more and more like Jesus in this ongoing process. So I want us to read from Philippians. And this is Paul again writing the Philippian church. And these guys are all, they've already made their friendship with Jesus. They're committed Christ followers. And he says this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, that sounds like not a one and done. That sounds like an ongoing process of something that we need to be involved in. And it's like when you get married, you don't just say, okay, we had the wedding, and so I'm married, and I don't have to work at it at all for the rest of the thing. How how do you think that would work out? Being married is a process. Yes, it's one and done at the wedding, but it's just this ongoing process of living and forgiving and loving and going through the hard times and the bad times. And salvation for us is the same way. So I want you to think again about what do you need to be saved from. Maybe it's fear or loneliness or disappointment or finances or a health diagnosis or grief or an inner critical voice of shame and condemnation that is always with you. Maybe it's an addiction or depression or a job that's sucking the life out of you. But what do you need to be saved from today? For me, how I would answer that question is it's been a year of a lot of change for me. My mom died in November after a long illness. And um, I think about humans this way. I think we, there are two forces in our world. We, we need to have a balance of togetherness and community and being with people. And then we have this individual or we need to be able to be alone and have our own life course and know how we're created and how to have a meaningful life. So we have togetherness and individuality. And whenever we have a death or a divorce, or something changes, or even a birth of a new child, our balance changes. And I would say to you that I am still in this not new normal. I've never lived on this planet without a parent alive. And I'm still figuring out, what does that work look like? And there's still a missing for me. So I need saving from that. And we're going to talk about the two strategies that the evil one uses to impact this amazing thing that is between our ears, our brains. And you know what these strategies are? They keep us from being present to God, to make space to hear his voice. They drown out, these strategies drown out a meaningful life that God has called us into. These strategies distract us from God. What is really cool is that God has designed our brains to adapt and change and lay down these new pathways. Studies have shown that when we change our brain chemistry, we, we can change it by just interpreting data differently. Just by thinking differently, we can change our brains. So we are not stuck in these strategies I'm going to talk about. We get to participate with God in our salvation. So, the first strategy that the evil one uses, I want us to look at that verse again and a little bit more. So, from Philippians two, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you for both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice the very next thing Paul says, work oh. Do everything. Oh, it's in yellow. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So the first strategy that the evil one uses is complaining, you guys. It's the very first thing that Paul talks about. Don't complain. Later in Philippians, one of my favorite books in the Bible, he says this. Uh, Philippians 4, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if there is anything, anything at all is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We, God works with us to transform our minds. And I don't know about you, but I'm tempted to focus on whatever's wrong, whatever's irritating, whatever's stupid, whatever's dark, whatever's painful, whatever's unpleasant, whatever's ugly, whatever makes me wait. Don't you hate to wait? I can focus on those things. And when we complain, I think the evil one loves it because we express and we focus our attention on our dissatisfaction, our pain, and our resentment. One way that we can use complaining is to connect with other people. The psychologist, Brene Brown, calls it common enemy intimacy. Common en- enemy intimacy. I want you to think if you've ever done this. So let's say I have a problem with Sue, and Sue makes me very upset. I go to my best friend, Renee, and I say, you are not going to believe what Sue did she was immature, oh my gosh, she just, she's awful, awful, awful. If Renee goes, you are right, that's Sue, and she has her own list, and she demonizes Sue, we get sort of a weird connection, like Sue's bad, and we're great. And um, for the short term, we have a connection, but here's, okay, guys, I love research studies. Long term, Complaining. They've shown in the research studies that complaining is bad for our mood, our mental state, our health, the our, listener, and for our relationships. When we complain, it actually changes our brain, and it releases the stress hor- hor- hormone called cortisol, which is the flight or fight or caretake hormone. Like we needed it back in the days of the saber-toothed tiger, That we saw one, the cortisol would happen, and we would run. We don't need that so much. And actually, cortisol is really, really bad for us if it keeps going. It's good to get us out of a fire, not good to have all the time. And when we complain, it increases our cortisol. It impairs our immune system, you guys. It makes us more susceptible to diabetes and depression and high cholesterol, heart disease, sleep problems, and more. And so no wonder the evil one uses this strategy to focus on complaining because it wreaks havoc in our relationships, in our bodies, and in our lives. Complaining keeps us focused on other people and other circumstances that we're not in control of, and it impacts our brain negatively. And I know some of you are thinking, but Michelle what are you saying here? I need to vent. I really, it helps me. And I am not saying, please do not hear today that we do not talk about the hard stuff. I'm not saying denial. We need community. We need people that we're processing the difficult and painful parts of the wor- of this world with. If you look in the Psalms, um, a book in the Bible, um, Over a third of them are laments, people complaining, crying out to God. So I am not saying don't talk about the hard stuff. What I am saying is that the research would show that venting is not helpful and is actually harmful. It is a passive victim posture. Um, But what's much better than venting is when we co-reflect with another person, that neutral person that can help us engage our brain and help us think and ask us questions and help us think about options of how to respond, we need other people to help us process in community. So um, it helps us engage our brain when people ask us questions and broaden the view of it. And so once again, this is what my best friend Renee actually does when I go to her and tell her Sue is incredibly immature and she did this terrible thing. What she does instead is she acknowledges to me that has to be really hard, Michelle. She has incredible empathy. That has to be hard, and I know you, and I know you hate doing things wrong, and that sets off this cascade of emotional anxiety reactions and And um, I'm with you, and then we talk, she asks me questions about what else is going on, like when, what, who, and how, and where, and she never asks why. Why is really this crazy loop-making thing that we never actually figure out. She helps think about what's Sue up against? What's Sue going on in her life? She has empathy, and it broadens my view. It helps me see options of how to respond. It helps me collaborate with the Holy Spirit in the midst of it. She helps me engage my brain. This takes lots of practice, you guys. This isn't just a one and done. To learn how to move from emotionally reactive venting to co-reflecting with other people. And it doesn't happen overnight. But God meets us in this practice. If we ask him, he will engage our brains. And for some of you, you may be saying, you know what, I don't have a Renee. I don't have a neutral um, person that will help me co-reflect. And first I would say, start praying. Pray for that person. There may be somebody in your life or your orbit that you could talk to. And the second thing I would say is maybe it's a counselor, a counselor that can help you think. And not every counselor is able to do that. Go, get a referral, try them out, and see, did they help me co-reflect? Did they help broaden my view? Do they help me engage my brain? The evil one tempts us to be complain because it keeps us focused on the hard and difficult parts of life and being a helpless victim And complaining keeps me from hearing the Holy Spirit and my best life that is in Jesus. There are brutal and hard facts that we face as humans, and I am not denying that. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, you can't be a victim and a victor at the very same time. And with God, we are victors because he has already conquered death and all the brokenness in the world. So who today, what are you going to choose to be like? Are you going to choose to be a victim or a victor? I want to tell you about two of the most life-changing decisions that i made. They happened about 25 years ago. Um, The first was going to a counselor who was this neutral co-reflector who could tell me the truth, who helped me to see a broader view, and who I actually saw yesterday, Because I see her once or twice a month, sometimes more, given on what's going on in my family. She has been so, so helpful in this long process of changing um, my brain. And she really challenged me. I was going through a divorce, and I really, really wanted to focus on how bad and awful and terrible that he was and to be a victim of the divorce. And she challenged me week in, week out, to be a victor, to choose to own my part in the failure of the, of the marriage. And this did not happen overnight, you guys. Some weeks it would feel like I took two steps forward. Other weeks it would feel like I took two steps back. But over time, I have to tell you, my brain is different today from all the work of co-reflecting with her and with other important people in my life it when, ha, when crisis happens now, I just don't respond the same way because I've God has laid down new neural pathways to deal with challenge, to deal with crisis, to deal with anxiety and death and yuckiness. And it truly changed the trajectory of my life and my kids' lives and my family's lives. And so the antidote to complaining is first co-reflection reflecting, talking to people about what's going on in your world. But the next one is gratitude. Gratitude is huge, guys. They've shown this in studies. Just Google Bible verses and gratitude, and there's a ton of them. You could do a word study on it. There is something about gratitude that makes space for our relationship with God. It like helps us breathe. Every, James tells us, every good and perfect gift came from God. And all of us have gifts that I know that I just bypass, often because I'm too busy. But something about gratitude re-changes my posture to God. And I can be thankful for who he is in all his amazingness and the many gifts he's given into me. One thing that that you can do, so when something difficult or hard happens to you, I have a difficult conversation I'm going to have tomorrow, and I, in the midst of it, if I could think about the good, that, like, this is actually going to change this relationship that we're talking about hard things. The research would show that just having that one good, grateful thought about the hard thing changes our brain chemistry. It changes our pathways and so gratitude, filling our days with gratitude. The scientist Robert Emmons says this about gratitude. The practice of gratitude can have dramatic and lasting effects in a person's life. Gratitude can lower blood pressure, improve your immune function, facilitate more effective sleep. I'm all for that. Uh, Gratitude reduces a lifetime risk for depression and anxiety and substance abuse and disorders and a key resilience factor in the prevention of suicide. Gratitude, the evil one does not want us to be grateful, you guys, because gratitude can change us. So I have an action step for you if you choose to accept that there are going to be two in this message. The first one is would you, from here on out, and you have it a little bit harder than the 11 o'clock people, is that you will fast from complaining for the rest of the day. And I did this, I started this practice about eight years ago and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's hard. Like I didn't realize how much I complained. And it made me think before I spoke, I was like, okay, I can't say that. I got to say something else. And instead replace it with gratitude and co-reflecting. It doesn't mean you can't talk about the hard things with somebody. Um, In this process, the Holy Spirit just made me aware of something I needed to work on. And it has changed my life. I've been through the I Am course. And one of the things that we did was figure out our core values. I have four core values. And one of my core values is celebrate the good because what we focus on, we become. And that is why, friends, the evil one wants us to complain. That's not a good picture of who who God wants us to be. So when we replace complaining with co-reflecting and gratitude, we are working out our, fe- our salvation with fear and trembling. We are laying down new neuropathways. The second strategy of the evil one are lies. And here's how they sound to me in my brain. It's, it's an inner critic, an inner critic that drowns out God so that I can't hear from the Holy Spirit um, remember again, the Holy Spirit is a voice that's speaking all the time, no matter where you are in your faith journey. And so, this inner critic—and honestly, the inner critic has been going this morning for me um, about different things. Like, "Dude, you're not a brain scientist. Why in the world are you talking about neuro pathways?" Um, <laughs> and you know, all that stuff. Here's what the inner critic can sound like: "I'm an idiot. I'm a loser." No one likes me. I'm unloved. I'm ugly. I'm undesirable. I'm a terrible parent. I'm a worthless person. I'm not worthy of being loved. I don't have anything to offer other people. No one likes me. I'm hopeless. I'm a victim. Sometimes the inner critic uses something that someone actually said to you. Like maybe in your childhood they said, you know what, you're never going to amount to anything. And that voice just keeps coming back and back and back over and over again. Sometimes it's about God. You know what? Everybody else hears from God, but I don't. God doesn't love me. God doesn't want the best for me. God's silent. I don't know about you, but I hear that inner critic a lot. And here's the deal. That is the evil one. That is the deceiver and the accuser. And I love what Joe said when he talked about the breastplate of righteousness He said, he poses this question. When we hear that inner critic, when we hear those lies, asking this question, take the thing that you're thinking about. For me, it would be, you're going to do it wrong. You're pretty messed up. When that comes up, asking the question, are these words that Jesus would say to me? If I read the Gospels, do I hear him saying that to anyone? No, I do not. (laughs) So those voices are either from Michelle in my head, Or they're from the evil one. Either way, it's not good. But here's what we have instead. We have the Holy Spirit who is not the voice of the inner critic or the condemnations or lies. The Holy Spirit is the voice of love. And we need to daily seek to learn to listen more and more to the Holy Spirit and not to those lies, you guys. The Holy Spirit, like I said, can awaken us to see things in our lives that we need to change, like for me complaining, but he does so without condemnation. What we think about really matters. And remember, as you form neuro, new neural pathways and you, you silence the lies, it makes a difference in your connection with God and in your brain. The, inner, the enemy uses these inner critic to distract us from this meaningful life that God wants for each of us. Each of you has a unique calling and purpose in this world. And I think about Tom and about how I got to see him live out that purpose. He served for about 17 years with elementary school age boys. Man, he lived a meaningful and good, good life. These inner critic distortions are harmful to us, and we need to be saved from them. So I want you to think about what you need to be saved from again, and I want you to think about what's the lie that you hear all the time. What's what's the inner critic? What's the evil one saying to you? One big way that we counter and combat the inner critic is prayer. Ephesians 6, I want to read it to us again. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. We need to pray. It is a weapon for us. I want to tell you about a new prayer practice that I have that I started in June. And I actually used it this morning when I felt the inner critic get going. I wrote this breath prayer and Google breath prayer because it will explain more about how to do it. But I wrote this prayer that was those words all mean something to me. Words are really important and to me. And I, I prayed about them, and these are the words that I have. And I pray this for my people. I pray it for people that, I'm, that are di- going through difficulty. I pray it for my kids. And as I breathe in, I, would, I will say, may I... And I say it silently in my head. And then as I breathe out, I will say, be healthy. Be healthy physically and spiritually and emotionally. Then may I be um, connected with the first one. And I do each phrase in and out. Sometimes I'll set my timer for five minutes and just pray that. And something happens, you guys. Something happens in my brain and in my heart and in my mind. Prayer changes our pathways. So it one of the things I also do, well, I'll put my hand on my chest and I will think about the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and can live in you if he doesn't already. That is amazing to me. Prayer is like anything. We get good at it when we practice it. It is a powerful tool and honestly, I think we don't use it because we're too busy we don't make the space for it. And so your second action step if you choose to accept it is to add 5 minutes of additional intentional prayer today. You may already be praying. That's awesome. I'm saying 5 minutes more. Maybe it's writing a prayer, maybe it's writing a gratitude list in your journal. I love to pray through journaling. But maybe it's praying with important people. I say this to parents all the time. Pray out loud with your kids. And they're like, ugh, I feel awkward, Michelle. I don't know how to do it. It's just like, just bring your normal voice. Your kids are learning to talk to God by listening to you talk to God. Just keep it short. They'll start heckling you if you go too long. But just use your voice to say thank you and please help us. And wow, throughout your daily life. It changes our relationships with people when we pray with them. And maybe it's a prayer walk. I did this um, in this room this morning with a dear, dear friend, two dear friends. We just prayed and walked. And there's something for me about using my body that frees up my mind to stay focused. And we do that every Tuesday. We pray in the Littles area for your kids and for the volunteers and for what God's doing in everybody's life. So pray five more minutes. Each day this week. And see what happens. See what happens in your brain. See what happens in your life. So we need to suit up. We need to put on this helmet of salvation. To protect our brains. From the enemy's attacks. Of complaining and the inner critic lies. We must collaborate with God. In our own salvation with him. Through co-reflecting. Through gratitude and prayer. And I want to end by sharing. Just a story from my own life. My parents um, and I did not pray except before meals um, through most of my life until 2005 when my dad, my brilliant dad, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and multiple myeloma. And I got a nudge from God to just go, at the end of the time that I spent with him, I would just say, Dad, can I pray? And he would always say yes. And I would pray. He would never pray, which was okay. And then afterwards, he would always say, ah. I see, I feel more peaceful, Michelle, I feel more peaceful. and So we started just praying as a family. I would pray with both my parents. And then um, my mom had her first stroke in about 2014. And uh, I said, Mom, can, can we start praying just every time I leave after I visit? And she said, yeah, but I want to pray the Lord's Prayer. That's something that she prayed in her church every Sunday, and she prayed it to herself. And so we would grab hands, and we would say the Lord's Prayer together. And here's the funny thing about my mom with this prayer is the very last line, she'd get super emphatic. And so now I can't say the Lord's Prayer without this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. That's how she would say it. And so as her disease progressed, I would still do it, but here's what happened. Gradually, she began to lose the ability to communicate. My vibrant such a learner such a an amazing mom couldn't talk anymore couldn't find the words she could still hear i could tell in her eyes and her face that she could hear me but she couldn't speak very much but he, i would always do the lord's prayer and we would have this visit of michelle monologuing and then we would hold hands and we would pray and she could remember prayer words and phrases of the lord's prayer and here's why i think she could do that she laid down neuropathways. pathways in her brain that were not affected by the diseases she was up against. They were so strong and so deep. And it was such a gift because, man, walking with an aging parent is really hard. Some of you in the room are doing that. And it just met us in this unique place and knit us together in ways we'd never been knit before. And so I want to ask us as a community to do something a little different because we don't pray together out loud. We don't. And if you don't want to pray out loud, you do not have to. It's a big group. You can be silent. No one will notice. Okay? So what I want you to do is stand up. The words are going to be on a screen. And just use your normal voice. You don't have to have a churchy voice. I'm going to try to bring my normal voice to this. That's, God just wants to hear us. And as we do, just listen. Holy Spirit is speaking right now to you. Maybe there's a word or a phrase from this prayer. Maybe it's somebody totally different, but he's speaking to you about the thing that you need to be saved from, about the thing that the person on the left of you needs to be saved from. So let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, you guys, such a gift for me to do that with you. Today, um, if you'd like to come forward and be prayed for, I would love to do it. We always have our prayer team But I want to send you off onto this rainy day with a word to bring your best self to your day. No complaining, lots of gratitude, um, co-reflecting, and five more minutes of prayer. Thanks, you guys, so much for being here.